Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Welcome everybody to, to Christchurch. Not in Jerusalem this time. Christchurch has moved to the Galilee, and uh, we are having our Bible study. Um, with a fantastic vista under a lot of heat. Blessings to wherever you're coming from and joining with us in the podcast. And uh, uh, we we value your participation. We appreciate your emails and and comments about our discussion. And we pray that uh, as we wrestle the text and devote ourselves to continually to follow the Messiah more and more each day, then we hope that uh, that is also a blessing for your communities and families. And we acknowledge that the Lord is King. We know that he is present by his spirit. And the first thing we should do is bless God and pray. So Chimshon, can you begin us by leading us in prayer? Right, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for another time to sit at your feet and study your word. Father, the entrance of your word brings life and brings understanding to the simple. Let your word have a free course in our life. Let your word have a free flow. Let it bring healing and deliverance to us. Let it bring power. Let it bring restoration. Yeshua prayed for his disciples. He says, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. As we go through your word today, let us be sanctified and be set apart for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so as is our tradition, I read the uh, notes from last week's discussion. We had a good discussion, and uh, we got through Several verses from 7 to 20. And for those listening in podcast land, just read along and hopefully get refreshed from our uh, discussion last week. So Paul has made his argument that righteousness is imputed by God to Gentiles as well as to Jewish people and that it is not earned through this thing called the works of the law that create distinctions, boundaries and social standings, between them, between Jews and Gentiles. A new reality has been formed with the resurrection of the Messiah, which Paul can clearly see now. Yet others, his antagonists, are unable to see at the present time. Jews and Gentiles are of equal value, infinitely loved by God, who created all things, and sustains all things. God has plans for all humanity, and the Torah proves it. Paul had provided the example of the patriarch Abraham, which should satisfy both Gentile and Torah-observant Jewish listeners to Paul's argument. Abraham both believed and trusted in God He also kept the Torah even before it was delivered at Mount Sinai and God imputed to him righteousness. While the book of Genesis does not contain the word faith, it says Abraham believed God. Now, Paul does a midrash on the story to involve the faith of Abraham. Faith or faithfulness is an action word. The operating noun derived from a verb. Faith is not a one-time decision, but the acting out of belief. Faith was never something attached to what you know, as even demons believe, 
They have seen God, yet they have no faith. Twice in Genesis, God declares that through Abraham, all the nations of the world, the Gentiles, would be blessed. Thus, the Midrash is complete. Abraham walked out his belief in faithfulness, kept the Torah before it was even given, received the covenant of circumcision as a sign forever, and God blessed him with righteousness. Now, if Abraham can do all this before Mount Sinai, including a blessing to the nations, and so can the Gentiles also through faithfulness. Those that believe in the Messiah are imputed righteousness by God and can join the family of God as non-biological and spiritual sons of Abraham. Paul adds to his defense by quoting scripture. Okay, it's in the Torah concerning the curse of the law. This is not to say that the Torah is a curse, but rather transgressing the Torah brings a curse. The fault is not with the Torah. That, the Torah, comes from heaven and is written by God. Hence, by very definition, it must be holy and good. The fault is with mankind. We bring the curse on ourselves. God delights in bringing blessing, and he does not bring curses. It's in his nature. Paul has already argued with Peter, acknowledging that possession of the Torah is no guarantee for observing the commandments. Israel had the Torah and was physically traveling with the ark and the tablets of the law, yet the Mosaic covenant was broken repeatedly. Psalm 143 declares that actually no one is righteous, and yet this prayer is sung in the temple of God in Jerusalem during worship. Do broken covenants and knowing that no one is righteous, cause us to give up and sit dejected under a rock or to live out our lives in a state of complete lawlessness, hedonism and nihilism? Not at all. For despite all this, Paul quotes the prophet Habakkuk to show that the righteous, imputed by God, live through faithfulness. Actually, the righteous continually act out and put faith into practice. Interestingly, Paul drops the personal pronoun that is in both the Septuagint and the Hebrew text of Habakkuk 2.4. Why he does this? Not 100% sure, but he does. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all invited the curse upon ourselves through our own sins and willful disobedience. Redemption is delivered to the world through the death and resurrection of Messiah. And redemption is not a free rescue. It's a purchasing back of something with a payment in price. The cost is curse for curse. Paul does another exegetical midrash on the word curse as Messiah redeems from the curse by becoming a curse on a tree. The quote in Moses in Deuteronomy does not in context reference crucifixion, which was a Roman invention as the method for Jewish execution was stoning. However, in Midrash and exegesis, hints, metaphors, foreshadows that can lead to the connection between defeat of the curse through the cross of Christ. The resurrection of the Messiah also prompts the outpouring of the Spirit onto all flesh, just as prophesied. Thus, both Jews and Gentiles are equally blessed with the presence of the Spirit, which as Paul has previously noted in Galatians, 
The Spirit is alive and well and active in miracles and power amongst them. Paul now brings his third example, human experience to argue his case. Human contracts are binding with no one adding or subtracting from a signed contract. Subsequent contracts do not negate or annul the previous agreements. Hence, the promises to Abraham cannot be undone by later covenants. The covenant of David does not negate the Mosaic covenant, nor does the covenant with Pinchas and any other covenant. Paul, including the new covenant. Paul looks carefully at the text in Genesis and notes the promise of God was pertaining to the seed of Abraham in the singular. Paul exegetes that singular seed to refer to the Messiah. In all this discussion of the Torah, the question must now be asked, what was the whole point of the Torah anyway? If the covenant gets broken, even before Moses gets down from the mountain, why bother preserving the Torah or trying to observe its commandments? And in our discussion of this, we noted that all peoples through history follow laws. There are no lawless societies that exist for very long. Paul says that the Torah was given due to transgression. Physically, the Torah was given to Israel. Spiritually, it was available to the whole world. For where did the transgressions originate from? Both from heaven through fallen angels and through mankind, the fall of Adam. Following the resurrection, has the Torah ceased to exist? Obviously not. As human laws also remain in existence, so also do heaven's laws. The role and place of the Torah in the life of the community is still to be discussed. We have a look today, I hope. Paul describes the giving of the Torah in light of Second Temple period traditions, which include angelic mediators and an intermediary. The book of Exodus does not describe any mediators between Moses and God. This was a theological tradition that develops later. Now, I confess to not understanding the cryptic verse in verse 20, where Paul describes the intermediary implying more than one, and God as being one. Just did not quite understand what that verse was, was trying to say. And REA provided an interesting insight into the intermediator as the seed of Abraham. Paul is, of course, stating that the seed is a reference applying to Jesus. The land of Israel was given as an inheritance to the seed of Abraham. That is, Jesus. Thus, the final title deed of the land still remains held by the Messiah himself, who will return to rule and reign from his eternal capital in Jerusalem. So that was, a, I hope, a reasonably fair discussion uh, from, from uh, last week. So we will have a look at our portion for today, which is Galatians 3. The last bit, which will mean um, verse 21 to 29. So a small couple of verses. And this discusses, after all of this discussing, the idea of uh, works of the law, promises to Abraham. The question is, so what was the purpose? What is the point then uh, of the Torah? And Paul asks rhetorically, is the law, the Torah, then contrary to the promises of God? his answer, certainly not. For if a, a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would in, indeed be 
by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus the Messiah might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the Torah, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So then, the Torah was our guardian until the Messiah came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into the Messiah have put on the Messiah. So there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, you are all one in Messiah. If you are the Messiahs, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs to the promise. All right, so let's unpack that if we can. So the um, discussion or the first, the first little question is the Torah contrary to the promises of God? And his answer is, of course, no. Right. So why would people be saying that it is? Why do we say it is today? What do you think, guys? I think it's, um, it's because people don't generally like law. Uh, people don't like to obey or keep the law you know um, people just kind of resent the law i, I mean if you look at um, the world today people resent the police everywhere you know in america we say they found the police and everything because they represent law so people are getting very anti-law and um you know paul didn't use a, a very um light word to say to say it i mean in in, in the greek i don't know how it sounds but i know in hebrew um, Paul uses this phrase a lot, kalila, which is like saying God forbid. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's put because it's not saying God forbid, but it's usually interpreted God forbid when you say kalila. But yeah, it's translated, may it never be, or in some translation, it say, uh, may it not be, you know. But it's a very strong um, word that he used um, to show that um, he is not trying to, in any way, portray that. Um, the Torah is done away with. And, um, um, but I think uh, we as humans, we just, um, we just don't just like to be under the law <laughs> on yeah. our own way. Right. So imagine a society that is lawless. Yeah. It's very, actually very hard. In fact, no one actually would want to live in a society like that. None, yeah. No one. Yeah, Some people think that they do. They, they really think that if we could just get rid of the law, then, you know, we'd all be one big happy family. And that is just not true. It, uh, it, it's, it's, there's no society that you can go through in human history where they, that, they, that existed without a law, without a moral code. I read an article today on Rumble. I've been playing around a lot on Rumble, and, uh, which is a bit like, um, well, what is it like? like YouTube but without the censorship <laughs> and um, there was a it was a discussion by Douglas Murray who is not a believer he's actually gay and conservative and he was discussing how he really appreciates the morality of the church and he says you know and and, and this you know he's going I, I as an atheist I can't believe I'm saying this but I look at society and all I can see is 
we have no way to restrain ourselves. And, um, mm. and, 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 and we've basically thrown off the shackles of heaven and look what we've come to. And so it's pointing him towards God. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That even, even, even uh, it's probably the Holy Spirit like wooing him, but, but it's, uh, as part of that, he's looking at, at the world and going, well, this just makes no sense to me. We, and, and, and an atheist, I can't make sense of it. But anyway, Paul's wrestling with this, and he has to with the Galatians. He's saying, so the Torah, oh, this, this, this thing that keeps telling us what to do, is it actually contrary to the promises of God? All those promises that he gave to Abraham or to the world, that he was actually going to bless the nations. And he says this, this word in Greek, which I don't know what it is. Arie, you know what it is. What does he say in response to his own question? Okay, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, all I've got is certainly not. It's very strong, you know, uh, we would say in, in modern Hebrew. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed come by the law. But we all know that Psalm 143, that no one is righteous. Yet that is a song that you pray and sing when you're in the temple. So you have gone to the temple to worship the Lord. So obviously you believe in God. You've gone to the temple probably because of maybe a festival. So you're following a religious calendar. And despite the fact that you have the Torah and you've been reading it every Shabbat, you still stand before the Lord and say, no one is righteous. Which, of course, brings back to the question, well, what was the point of reading the Torah on Shabbat? <laughs> what was the point of coming here and, and killing that poor goat? I mean, the guy looked at me with those little eyes and, you know, and I'm going to eat him for dinner. And, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a good question, right? If, and so he's saying, because even, even Jewish people know that the Torah doesn't actually impute righteousness. That comes from God, right? But the scripture, here's an interesting one, imprisoned everything under sin now that is an interesting phrase i mean i'm reading here in english greek's not my uh forte so that the promise by faith in the messiah might be given to those who believe now remember last week paul was discussing you know so why was the torah given he said well it was given because of transgressions Right, we had our, the creation had just blown it. It had blown it in heaven. We had had angelic rebellions. We had the descent uh, of the fallen angels played out in um, Genesis six very, very loosely with only a few sentences, but much more developed in the books of Jubilees and Enoch and uh, Jewish tradition of the fallen angels and, and all that kind of stuff. But then there was also the the fall of man. We had the rebellion. Uh, of of human on humankind and so god gives this instruction this guidance this you need some uh, or as paul later is going to say you need a guardian you need a, a way forward i can't leave you lawless it's just not working and um but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin what do you think that means why would he describe it like that how does the how does the word of god imprison sin for me, typically, the minute I think I have to do law, I it's like Paul saying, he says that I don't, for example, I uh, let's say don't covet. The, yeah. the minute I say don't do it, that's all I seem to want to do. So then my, <laughs> my conscience um, gets me under that condemnation. And I think yeah. that's the imprisonment, that condemnation we have that we're always failing what God's standards are. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then, and then, so where does that lead? How does that make? I mean, obviously, it makes you feel pretty bad. But what what is it that makes you feel good? I mean, you don't want to be staying in that bad situation. So how does the spirit lift you up from there? Oh, uh, because we know my righteousness is actually yeah. in Christ. In the Messiah. And so that's yeah. the freedom we get through through this Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think Vida, a lot of us will probably say that we all have felt that exact same thing every day. And, um, yeah. It's like and a red some, button. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes you discover laws that you've never read about in the Bible before, and you go, "Oh, it's an interesting law." And then you then you then you sit there and you think, "Gee, I broke that one yesterday." <laughs> Didn't even know. <laughs> the law helps us to it, it kind of turn the lights on on what is good and bad. You know, um, in a world where it's just like the example you just gave, you just found out the scripture and you just found out you broke it yesterday. But if you're in ignorance, you don't know, and so. Yeah the law kind of locks us down to under the scene. And so every time you're talking about the law, you're talking about either breaching the law or, you know, being on the right side of the law. So it puts us on that weight, that weight be, be you know, comes upon us. And the, 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 the grace, the grace by Yeshua, what it brings to us, is not that we should continue in sin unless grace abound, is that we now live by the righteousness of Yeshua without having to struggle, without being guilty or not. We don't need to struggle that we need to do something to get it, but he has done it for us so we can now begin to keep it. Right. And also the whole concept of, you know, Adam Rishon, like the first Adam, not being able to really follow the instructions of of God and and then the rectification of the second Adam, which... He, he gives us the example, not that it's done away with. I know, I know a lot of people are very anti, antinomian. A lot of, you know, believers are antinomian. And I, just, I don't think they quite understand the role of the law, of the Torah, of the instruction. Because if we love God, we want to. It's like, that's his letter of love to his people. And of course, you know, there's different things for the Jews and the Gentiles. But that's how, that's why his expression of how, what he what his desire for us for, for, for life and, and not for death and not for burden and not for enslavement, but actually for life. And I think we don't have a proper understanding. That's why so many people in the New Testament are, you know, or to know oh, I'm a New Testament believer. How many unfortunate kehilas, how many churches are so um, anti, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's done away with. We're, we're New Testament. Jesus has done it and that's it. You know, we're done. But if we understand the essence of the law, that it's for life, the instruction is for life, then we understand that the second, the rectification of the first Adam, the second Adam actually comes and he, he shows us, he shows us, he leads us, like he, he was able to do that. And so through his, he, we can follow his example. He, he shows us how, how that plays out. Yeah. And I think that that's so much more of a, I think a clear understanding of of this argument that Paul's Paul's bringing, of course, there's again there's instruction for different groups of people, um, but if we have the heart, again, it goes back to you know we've talked about this right here in Deuteronomy, and it just always goes back to the heart. And I love what Maudie said, and I just I'm gonna re just rehash it again. You know that uh, here it's um, he talks about the blessings and the curses in Deuteronomy. And one thing that he he says is that 
um, blessings for obedience. And he always says, if you do it in joy, if you do it in joy. And then Deuteronomy 28, because you did not serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart, then of course there's the whole thing about out to Babylon and out, out to other places and, and, and discipline. But um, you know, it's it's a matter of the heart, it's a matter of joy, it's a matter of pleasing God. And, and then of course the second um Adam, he plays it out for us and helps us, teaches us what it is to live it out. I agree with Yvonne because we want to follow the law, but there's something extra I find that we do get as believers is that power of the Holy Spirit because we're not powerless now. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to be able to do the law where before it was just carnal in the flesh. We were just doing duties. Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a spiritual in our heart, it, it, it's something we, we absolutely aspire to be, is to be holy because God's holy. And yeah. we then have the power through the Holy Spirit to do that. I, I agree with most of the verbiage <laughs> and the intention. Because <laughs> Abraham in Genesis is said by God to have kept God's Torah. Well, how could he do that when it's not even written? Because it was his intention, his desire, his heartfelt desire to please the Lord. and. The, the, the works righteousness comes in where you do something because you think that God's going to reward you because you did this, not just because he loves you, not because he actually cares and because he's a very generous God, but because you deserve it. Well, actually, we deserve nothing. I often get, not often, but every now and again, I'll get asked, why is Jewish roots important? You know, I'm a Jewish roots teacher. What is Jewish roots? You know, we're New Testament Christians, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't happen very often because there's no tourists here to ask those questions. So that's been a really, I, I often, I would sometimes respond by saying, okay, in the Middle East, you answer a question with a question. Do you need to read the Bible to be saved? Answer, no. There's, no, there's no. nothing that says, so for you to, to enter the world to come, you must read the Bible from cover to cover at least three times. Okay, that, that's <laughs> it. that doesn't happen. Okay, so you don't have to read the Bible to get saved. Well, that's nice. So now, why bother? I mean, it's just a book among many. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not always easy to understand. I mean, Paul's just sometimes really complicated. You know, if you want a bit of blood, guts, and gore, jump into the Kings. If you want some nice poetry, do some Psalms. If you want some wisdom, read uh, Solomon or the Proverbs. Um, skip some of the prophets because they're also pretty bizarre. And uh, if you really want to get scared and have nightmares, read Revelation. Otherwise, you can delete that one. Um, otherwise, read Harry Potter. Much better, okay? Bad guys lose. Good guys win. Kids do it all. Fantastic, you know? Okay, so the, reading the Bible isn't something that gets you saved, but you know it's important. But why is it important? And, then, and I think, and Paul is wrestling with that too. The Torah gives us the heart of God. It shows us, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I've done in the past. This is what I'm going to do in the future. Here are some promises I made to some great heroes. These are things I did to some cities and towns that I didn't like. And, and it opens up this incredible story of this, of this God who wants a relationship with me. So I want to have a relationship. It becomes incredibly important, but it itself is not the thing that gets me into, into heaven per se. And Paul knew that. In fact, most Jewish people know that. But he, he phrases it interesting. The, the, the scripture imprisons everything under sin. This reveals what's good and evil. Now, even without the, the Torah, 
people still know what's evil and what's good. Okay? And um, I mean, I can get my little kitten and tie it to the back of my car and go for a drive down the street. And you all know that that's wrong. You just know it. Okay, that's even if even if nobody had a law against it, you'd go, look, Aaron, that's not a nice thing. You're a really weird person. But here comes the Torah and he has given us that this is something bad and puts a, a shield over it or does its best to put a fence around it. But that was only until what? Okay, so that the promise by faith in the Messiah might be given to those who believe. So we understood that we we had sin. We understood from the very Torah itself, that our righteousness doesn't, doesn't, doesn't cut it. And so we also understood from the very same Torah that there was a promise, this promise to Abraham, this promise that he was going to bless, that all the nations were going to be blessed, this promise of something called the seed that was going to come of the woman, okay, and, then, and the seed of Abraham. Uh, and, and, of course, and Paul has already made the link that that's the Messiah. So here we have the promise of the Messiah, which we believe to be Yeshua. And, uh, and so as believers in Yeshua, we join in that promise. We, we acknowledge that that has actually happened. God has been fulfilling his promise, been fulfilling his covenant, because that's what he does. And so Paul continues in verse 23. Now, before faith came, now remember, faith is not, um, there wasn't any faith before the Messiah. There was, right? When, when Yeshua walks into a synagogue, why is everybody else in the synagogue? They believe in God. Uh, it's, like, it's not that like they're sitting there going, well, I've, I've got nothing to do on Shabbat, so I'm, I'm going to come here. Everybody else seemed to come here, so I came too. They, they believed. They read the scriptures. They treasured the scriptures. They discussed the scriptures. They pulled them apart. They wrote all kinds of other texts that paralleled it. Okay. But what he's talking about is before faith came in the Messiah, not just in God general, or that you didn't have any faithfulness. Okay. So before the faith in the Messiah, we were held captive under the law, captive, imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. Imprisoned seems uh, like a very strong word uh, and held captive. It, it seems to imply all the negative feelings of, um, you know, here's this thing that if I, if I move from this room, it's going to whack me, and, and, and I'll, but I'll jump back into the room because I'm so scared now. But the next verse, unpacks it a little bit so Aaron, then yeah can i tell you i like what my bible says i like Go it says uh, kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith which was later yes. to be revealed i like yes. the word custody yes the word can be can be read either something more negative or more positive and your translation what was your translation esv esv yep the the yeah, i'm reading I'm reading from my iPad because I'm in the gallery. I didn't Sorry. Sorry. It's the NASB. Sorry. NASB. Okay. I have two Bibles. Yeah. Yeah. The New American. There you go. The New American is a little more literal sometimes. And so there, I think, reflecting the more literalness of the Greek, that custody is in reference to something protective, not something negative. And the next sentence totally clarifies what Paul is trying to say. He has not disparaged Torah. He can't possibly do that because it comes from God. If the Torah came from heaven, it must, by definition, be good. It has to. And he, he says it a lot more clearly in Romans, where he's obviously had a lot more time 
to uh, flesh out his theology. And he says, the law is holy, righteous, and good. Okay? Here, he's saying, come on, guys, we remember that it was our, we were in custody. We were under its guardianship. It was our shield and our defender. How do I know that? He says in the very next verse, so then the Torah law was our guardian. What was the thing that was protecting you from stealing your neighbor's stuff? The fact that God said, don't do it. The, yes, the, okay, the police. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Those guys. Yeah. The, the, the only thing stopping us from, uh, from stealing our stuff was the fact that he might see us and, and throw us in jail. Okay. But spiritually, <laughs> spiritually, we actually had um, a pursuit from the Lord who said, actually, I don't really like it when you take other people's stuff. So I'd appreciate it if you didn't do it. Oh, and by the way, I'd really kind of like it if you wouldn't lie all the time. You know, that tongue you've got that I gave you would be really nice if you said, said some truthful things all the time. And it'd be, it'd be really nice if you were generous to the widows and the orphans because they've got nobody else to defend them. And, um, you know, I kind of like defending them, so I really kind of hope that you like defending them. Um, and so it was a shield. It was a guardian. Until when? Until the Messiah. Does that mean? Yes. Does that mean you throw the law away? No. Doesn't mean you become lawless, because that's bad. In fact, what do we call the enemy? What do we call the 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 la, the the Antichrist? What do we he, Paul calls him a special name? Lawless one. Yes. You know, he's the lawless one. Well, if he's the lawless one, and we've all thrown the law away, I guess we must be on his team. Okay, um, that's not a good place to be. This NSAV uses the word tutor, which I kind of like to think of. Like, so you're under this tutelage, right? With the, yeah. you know, before the, before the, so now when he comes, you're no longer, you're on your own. I mean, not, you know, like, so you were protected. Now you got, you were born and now you're growing and you no longer, because in my book it says, so by now by faith, we no longer under a tutor. We are no yeah. longer under a tutor. Right, which means better kick Bible studies away. Yeah, forget about Bible studies. There's no point learning. No, because Vita had it. Vita had it right when she said, "I get down, but what lifts me up? Because I know that I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can convict me. The Holy Spirit can encourage me. The Holy Spirit can give me power to uh, resist stealing." And no, I look saying, at it as more as I look at it as more as now you're on your own to learn more like you are on your own to seek to to go and find which is you know what all of us are doing right we're seeking and finding more because nobody's telling us to do it we're doing it because we want to because of faith right yeah yeah well it's one level of it yeah there's always multiple levels what the, i mean obviously the pasuk in 24 doesn't say the law, the Torah was your guardian, and now the, the, the Messiah has come, you have the Holy Spirit, that's it. That is, that's a, that's a, a piece of that exegesis that I'm doing. The Torah is the guardian, the Torah is the tutor, the Torah is the thing that you, that you that learned, the Torah was your shield. But now that the Holy Spirit has come, now that Messiah has risen from the dead and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you've now got two things that can assist you. One is the Holy Spirit. He can convict you of sin. He can help you resist the evil inclination. He's the one that can help you listen to the heart of God. But at the same time, you also have the heart, the heart of God holding in your hands. You actually have 
you know, the Bible. You can actually read the heart of God. And sometimes we don't understand it. So then we wrestle it together with oh, the Holy Spirit. And, we, and, it, and it runs in parallel, and, uh, which is, I think, is a really cool thing. So we are held uh, in custody. We were under the Torah, but faith in the Messiah has been revealed. It's not that there wasn't faith before, because obviously there was. David had faith, did he not? Okay. The sons of Korah had faith. Their dad had been swallowed up by the earth. They didn't stop them. They decided to, to join the temple and keep doing their job as Levites. The Torah was our guardian and, and, and defended us and kept our societies whole. Remember, as we were studying the book of Deuteronomy, what was the treasure of the Torah to the people of Israel? Here was this, this covenant and rules and laws that God was giving Israel, which was nothing like other nations. You had women could inherit. You, could, you had to free your slaves. You had to be generous to the, to the poor. You had to construct a place of worship for God. I mean, it was an incredible society that God is, uh, is, is giving to his people as a light to the nations. Leave the corners of the fields. <laughs> Leave the corners of your field because I like that poor person who's going to come in and eat your stuff. And I want you to be so nice to open the front door for him. Right? And I mean, some really beautiful, heartfelt uh, uh, laws there. Um, but that was our guardian. That was our shield until the Messiah came. That doesn't mean you throw it away. Messiah's here now. Fantastic. We have the hope and the promise, which the Torah promised. The Torah promises a redeemer figure. I mean, you read the text, every bit screams out, Messiah's going to come, and we, and we want him to. And so that we might be justified by faith, which he has talked previously, that uh, our faithfulness, Okay, that walk of acting out our belief is, um, uh, is, is what gives us that justification before the Lord. God imputes us righteousness. We don't earn it. It is imputed by God. It always has been and, uh, and always will be. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. Okay, the ultimate shield is no longer the Torah. That doesn't mean the Torah is done away with, remember? The Torah even prophesies a new covenant. Jeremiah says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And where am I going to put the Torah? In your heart. On your heart. So I don't do it or do away with it. I put it where it's supposed to be. It's going to be on your heart. But the ultimate guardian is not the Torah. Now the ultimate guardian is the Messiah. Now the ultimate guardian is his spirit. Now the ultimate guardian is our father in heaven. Okay. It's a, it's a relationship that we have direct with, with God. And how do we know this? Because in the Messiah, you're all sons of God. Well, that's an incredible, remember that term, B'nai Elohim? That is a, is, a, is a Hebraic term for relationship. The angels were called the B'nai Elohim. That doesn't mean that they're literal sons of God. That is, God copulates with some female and creates angels. That's Greek theology. That's not, not the truth. Israel is called uh, Ben Elohim, Ben Elohim, uh, in plural, actually, because they are called you know, the, the sons of God. And Jesus and anyone who's in a relationship with God is called a Ben Elohim. So we are also in, in a relationship with the Lord through, through faith, right. through faithfulness, which, as we discussed again so many times, is the acting out of your belief. 
it's not, it's not, you don't sit by faith, you walk by faith. It's even demons believe, so it can't be Gnosticism. It's, it's, and as Arie described it last week when he was describing how the Greek pistis is, it's this continuous acting out of faith. It's a, it never actually physically, physically stops. And I can't remember exactly how it worked, but if you want to listen to it last week, he's got a good, good couple of sentences on, on that one. It says here in 26, for you are the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Just reading that and listening to it, in my mind, I conjure a picture, I, I see a picture where it, we, in Christ Jesus, we have direct access now to the Father. And yep. he's the one guiding us, um, writing his laws in our heart. We have this direct relationship. But before Christ came, we had to have a schoolmaster to keep us because we didn't have that right relationship with God. Although we did, we, we, we were doing everything for God, there wasn't that, it seems to imply here that there wasn't that unity, that, that relationship that can only come through Christ because we are righteous now. I mean, yes, I agree about 99% of that because every now and again you get these characters like David who is pre-Messiah who, who, and, and God says, oh, this is the man after my own heart. And, but he did the most horrendous things. Yeah. So he, he loved the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord, yet he also knew Torah. I agree that 99% of exactly the way you, you push us towards um, that, but there's also that, that, that there were those in history that knew that they had to love God with their heart because that's what the Torah said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then you went, okay, oh, and I, and so there were those that really pursued to have a loving relationship with their father, and they, and they developed those beautiful prayers where they could pray, Father. Then the Messiah comes, and he goes, Abba, call him, call him Abba. You, you also have that special relationship. Now, remember, Paul is talking primarily to Gentiles. Okay. Let's also remember the context. So he's talking to Gentiles who are being told you need to be circumcised to have a better relationship with God because Jews have a relationship with God. This is where people keep, keep taking context out of the picture. You can't do that. The context that Paul is arguing is to Gentiles who are being told you need to be circumcised so you have the same relationship that we do as Jews. And Paul's going, no, 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 that's not true. You don't understand. The promise was to you Gentiles was prior to the Torah, which was Abraham. We Jews, we already know we blow, blew it, so why are we trying to make you do more blowing it? This is not going to work. Let's just have a direct relationship with God. You guys can be called sons of God through Abraham, just like we do. We're biologically sons of Abraham. You are spiritually sons of Abraham, and we are the same. That's like the shock that Paul is describing to his, this new world uh, of the risen Messiah, that, oh, my gosh, here's a community of Jews and Gentiles that can have equal standing before the Lord. I, I have to agree with you because I think what you're saying is because you look at Joseph, you look at Abraham, you look at all our forefathers, Moses even, they actually had faith. They, they, I think it's in Hebrews 11. It says they did all these things knowing that the promise of the kingdom, they, they had the Come faith in the, even in the Messiah, basically. Yeah. They had this faith. 
Now, we had that faith revealed to us through Christ. Yes, we back, They were yeah. looking forward in a thing. And because of the faith that made, as you're saying, the Gentiles now coming in to also be those children of God. Yes, yes. Yeah. But always remember the context. The, the, the primary, yeah. primary target that he's talking to were the Gentiles who we didn't know nothing, right? Before, before someone came and told us about the Messiah, we were kind of, well, Poseidon, <laughs> Athena, nothing, you know, whatever. And now we come to believe in the Messiah. We're learning a little bit about the scriptures. But as we read the scriptures, we go, what well, seems rather ethnic, seems pretty much ethnically driven towards Jewish people. Maybe they're like the elite. And uh, some people kind of thought that might have been the elite. And um, you want to come and join us, get a snip, take some sacrifices, change your name to, uh, you know, Solomon, and away we go. Uh, Rocky, you've got a hand raised. Go for it. Yeah, um, I've come personally to the understanding that uh, the circumcision, the way it's translated, for me, it means proselytizing or proselytes that they wanted them to follow all the ceremonial Judaism rules. They're not talking about Torah. Because, yes, because, because, yeah, that's right, Rocky. Think about this. What Bible are the Galatians reading right now? Torah. Correct. So it's not about better throw the Torah away and wait for a couple hundred years for somebody to actually produce the New Testament, because that can't possibly be true. Okay. So the, remember, remember the, the phrase in Galatians is works of the Torah, which is, which is uh, compelling people to perform a limited number of actions that create boundaries between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul's saying, no, 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 cut that out. You know, just stop that altogether because there are no boundaries between Jews and Gentiles. Not anymore. We're in a new reality. The kingdom of God Malchut HaShemaim is God is a king of the universe. He's the king of the world. He's not just the king of Israel. He's the king of the universe. And, and, and Messiah has revealed this to be true because he is the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham, which, by the way, was in the Torah. <laughs> so it's a very interesting way that he's doing. He's doing a fantastic job. Sometimes he's not as clear to understand. You wish that he could speak English. But I think he does okay. So faith has come, and now we are no longer under this guardian. That doesn't mean we throw it away. We're going to still read it every Shabbat. Um, but in the Messiah, we are sons of God. We have a living, dynamic relationship. We are part of the inheritance through faith. For as many of you were baptized into the Messiah, have put on the Messiah. I mean, oh my gosh, that's a very cryptic phrase. You, you know, uh, there, there used to be a, a lady who would attend our Bible study. She, she belongs to a community that have a very interesting literal take on being baptized into the Messiah. Uh, literally, okay, Christ comes and lives in us. Now, yes, we believe that, yes? Okay, Spirit. Yeah. Right. But they then took it to the next stage that if you've actually got a part of God and you, you are therefore also part God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you go, oops. Now, I know what the language says, but that's not what the language means. Right. And um, unfortunately, some traditions can run away with that. And you go, oh, my gosh, I know what it says. That's not what, not what that actually means. 
we were baptized, okay, baptism, very Jewish thing, okay, we, we, we go into the waters, we come out as new men, or men and women, born again, and we put on the Messiah. What does it mean by to put on the Messiah? What do you think he means by that? I mean, obviously, it's not always going to be easy to think what Paul thinks like, but give it a go, guys. How do you put on the Messiah? Isn't it just to be clothed in him in a sense, not to put on, it's, it's clothed in his righteousness, in his victory, in his everything he's achieved now is available to us through him. Yeah, I like it. I think there's even more. Yeah. Um, I think um, at this point in time, um, the Galatians were trying to become Judaistic. And um, Paul is telling them that it's not about becoming Jews. It's about becoming Christ-like. They should put on Christ, not put on Judaistic um, attitude or clothing that will distinct them, but what Christ stands for. So it's it's not much about the 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 talit and the and the other things that could identify them as Jews, but what could identify them as Christ? Okay, all right. That's that's very um, very physical, practical way. Okay, but in a sense, isn't it making him Lord? Okay, that yes, that could be one thing to say. Like he's my king, and um and and now I'm going to act in a different way, in a certain way, because I've got a new. I'm living in a new reality. I'm living under a new lordship, which of course inherently comes with the laws of the kingdom, right? whatever those are, that the, the kingdom of heaven is not lawless, but it's got to have something and because obviously you've got the Torah on my heart. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm going to try and keep pushing it just one more time and, and try and think like super spiritual, you know, like really Paul, super spiritual here, put on the Messiah. If I've put on the Messiah and Vita's put on the Messiah, and Yvonne's put on the Messiah. Oh, we have one body. And yes. So what do we all look like? The Messiah. Yeah, which means we all look exactly the same. Suddenly, little white Aaron in the Galilee looks exactly like my little black brother in Nigeria. You're like, well, how does that happen? You know, because there is neither Jew nor Greek. But there are. Nigerians don't look anything like Australians, you know, and, and Brazilians look very different to Japanese and blah, 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 blah. But on another level that Paul is saying, you all put on the Messiah, all actually the same now. That boundary issue, remember, in context, that boundary issue that we were trying to separate who's Jewish, who's Gentile, who's a bit higher, who's a bit lower, who needs to be who thinks that they're really in a full relationship with, with God, um, he says, no, no, no. You've all been baptized into the Messiah. You've all made him Lord. You've all been given the Spirit, and you've all put on the Messiah. But if I've put on the Messiah and you put on the Messiah, then when looking at each other, we actually now should look the same. And that's why he says there is neither Jew or Greek. That doesn't mean that there are not Jews or Greeks. There are. There are Nigerians, and as we know, there are a lot of them. And, uh, and Nigeria, I believe, brother, is going to become the powerhouse of Africa at the um, birth rate you guys have got. Yeah. Yep. And uh, as other countries keep shrinking their populations, I think everybody, bank your money on Nigeria, build a business there, you're going to make a ton. Okay. 
Yeah. And that's actually from the Financial Times, okay? That's an article in the Financial <laughs> Times about a week ago. It's like, oh, I don't have any money to invest, but if I did, I'll throw it in that dream. In terms of, the, like, you know, thinking in spiritual, I'm just looking at some places in the, in the Brink Hadashan in the New Covenant. Um, it says here to, in Ephesians, right? To, um, he says, but it, that but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be put on the new self yeah. right after the holiness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's again, it's this second Adam, right? It's the last Adam that's teaching us, like it says here, he's teaching us in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's, he fleshes it out. He walks it out so that we can see it. I think there's another passage in Romans where he talks about the, the putting on, put yep. on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's again, it's this, you know, we, le we, we learn by example, right? Sure. We learn by example. And so again, being this, rectification of adam he teaches us by example how to live it out and not satisfy to put on and and i love what it says in ephesians because it all goes back to to god right to his father and to be renewed and put on the new self created after the likeness of god so he he's he's teaching us how to go back to the father and have a relationship um in righteousness and in 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 life and uh taking away our our evil inclination and, and walking in the spirit. So, any other comments on putting on the Messiah? Because obviously, we, there are other putting ons in the Bible. Put on the armor of God. Okay, very spiritual concepts as well. You know, put on the mind of Christ. You know, these kinds of uh, uh, things. But here, in context, no Jews or Greeks. I mean, there are. There is no slave or free. I mean, there are. I mean, what's the the what what letter does Paul write? To about a slave. Anyone remember? Very short book. Philemon, right? And what does what does Paul say in that text? What does he tell the escaped slave to do? Go back to his master. Yes. Yeah, go back. He doesn't say, "Oh, by the way, look, you're both brothers in the Lord. Shouldn't have slaves. You know, you should go tell him to to let you go free. Sock him one, and tell him I'll bring send the boys around if he doesn't doesn't agree." Right? That's um. That's not what Paul does. <laughs> Okay, and he's not he's not being um, uh, false. He's there. There are slaves, and there are free people. Should that be that? Should we actually have slaves? That's a different debate, right? The Torah has already said, "Set them free." Okay, they work for their little bit, whatever they have to. But at the end of seventy, you set them free because the man was never meant to be owned by another man. That was never the way we work. The there's no male or female. Anyone here who's married knows that there are males and females, and uh, praise the Lord. But in the Messiah, if you're covered in the Messiah, it's the same covering. They, they all look the same. And, and he says, for we are all one in the Messiah. And if you are the Messiahs, then you are Abraham's offspring. Why? Because it goes all the way back to his first argument that Abraham, that, that God had said to Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. And there was going to be this, this seed. 
which is the Messiah, and because we believe in that seed, which is singular, we have actually become quite plural. We're all sons and daughters of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So we join in that promise that was given to Abraham in the Torah. So hopefully none of us want to throw the Torah away because then we just threw our promise away. And, and, and we also acknowledge that because of the new covenant, that Torah is on our hearts. It isn't the giant schoolmaster. It isn't the, the shield. It's there. It's not useless. It's useful. It's the heart of God. It tells you what he likes and what he doesn't like. But what do we have now that's even better? The Holy Spirit. And, you know, and so you have two quivers in your arrow. You have the heart of God and, and the treasure of the, of the scriptures, which we study, which we read. As, as, as David says, I meditate on this all day long. Right? There's, something, there's something so beautiful that I've got in my hand that, I, that I'm holding the heart of God. But I also have the promise of Abraham. I have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I have a direct relationship with the Lord God. He, he, he dares, uh, delights to call me son, and he allows me to say, to pray our father. That's an incredible uh, relationship. In all these things, truly, we are uh, most blessed. And, and we have a whole lot, a whole lot more uh, in the new covenant. All right, brothers and sisters, any other comments? Yeah. Well, first, I think one of the greatest problems we've had is the issue of um, people trying to paint the Torah as bad, you know, as something that is not good. You know, um, a lot of a very lot of preachers talk about that. No, you're going back to the law as if it's something you're going back to sin, you know, and um, there's too much speak about it in a very negative sense. I know, and also the words that was used to describe it, like being in prison with the law and all those things. Um, one thing we need to know is that um, in, in Deuteronomy 32, when Moses was doing his farewell speech, um, it says that the, the, the crooked, the God is perfect and all his deeds are perfect. But the problem are in his children. I think um, Deuteronomy 32, verse, um, from verse 4, if you take it in the rock, his deeds are perfect. Yea, all his ways are just. Um, a faithful God never falls. True and upright is he. Then verse 5 says, Children, unworthy of him, that crooked, perverse generation, their business has played him false. So it's our, our doings that made the Torah looks as if it's bad. It's not that the Torah itself is bad. Yeah. And uh, yeah. if you also go to um, Psalm, I think Psalm 19, um, Psalm 19, dead, um, it's the Psalm of David, and it says, The law of the Adonai is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Adonai is short, making wise and simple. The statutes of Adonai are right. And, you know, it continues like that. You know, talks so well about the the Torah of Adonai. And um, when we look at it, we know that the Torah was actually meant for us to, to become like God. But of course, we cannot become like him in our own power. And so that's why we need the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to help us to achieve that um, Christ-likeness that he wants to achieve in us. And so it doesn't make the Torah less important, as you have mentioned, 
than um, what we want to achieve. If you have the Ruach HaKodesh and you don't have this, the word, I mean, what are you going to do with the Ruach HaKodesh? Yeshua said that when I send the comforter, it will remind you all truth. It will bring to your remembrance all truth. And if you don't have the Torah, then what does it bring to your remembrance? And so it's not important as, um, you know, keeping the faith, just like you mentioned, if um, we don't go to heaven because we read the Torah or read the Bible, but reading the Bible helps us to become very good candidates of getting to heaven. <laughs> Thank you for standing with Torah all the time. Yeah, it's <laughs> that. Okay. All right, guys. Next, uh, next week, we get into chapter four. And then in chapter four, you encounter some allegory, which is not Paul's usual way of teaching, but it is one a way, and it's a useful way, where he'll do the um, Haggai and, and Sarah and mountains and uh, various things. Normally, uh, Paul would stick with other normal uh, very familiar Jewish ways of exegesis, Kalva Chomer, various useful midrashim, plays on words, which we've seen him do so far. Now that he's actually made his case and argued the point, he's done three chapters of it now, uh, it's time for him to go a little deeper and he, and he breaks into allegory, which is very, very interesting for Paul, for Paul to do. So we'll see if, uh, if there's some other allegorical midrashim I can also bring us some current examples of what it looks like in that, in that time period. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King